All right. Let's uh, let's get into this. Chapter three, Genesis chapter three. I want to I want you to notice something about Genesis chapter three. Sometimes we miss, I think. Um, <laughs> a little backstory. You'll notice the the verse markers in your Bible. They weren't in there when the scriptures were written, right? They weren't in there until more than a thousand years later when we decided, hey, it would be handy to have some verses and some chapter headings to be able to find things when we're looking for them, right? I'm just saying this. They're really handy, but sometimes they're in poor places. And in Genesis, they're in really poor places. I want you to notice two, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 starts a new section. That should have been the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4 says this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Um, I want you to notice something. I'm going to go through here with you. There are 12 times in chapter 2 that God is referenced. Verse uh, 2-4, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Verse 5, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain. Verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. Uh, 9, the Lord God. 15, the Lord God. 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. 19, and the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. There's a, an entire sermon right there. I promise. Look at that guy. He just picked a fig up off the ground. It's been there for two weeks, and he ate it. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. I will make woman, because he needs it. Right? I'm just saying, if you know me, you know how true that is. 15, the Lord God. 16, the Lord God. 18, and the Lord God said, it's not good, man should be alone. 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed. 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep. 22, and the Lord God. We get into chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God? Where'd Lord go? Why is it that the first time the serpent speaks, the reverence for God has now disappeared from the narrative? I would love to preach an entire sermon on just that, and I'm not going to. But I want you to notice this. When the serpent speaks, the first thing that happens is, let's lower what we think of God. The Lord God, just God. We do that. We do that in Christianity with liberalism. Well, it's, it's, that's, that's the word of the most holy God. Is it, really, is it really all God's word? Is it really? That's exactly how the serpent works today. Did he really say that? Do you think he really meant that? He said that's sin. Did he really? He said that's an abominable sin. Yeah, but did he really say that? Did he really mean that? The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. I want you to notice this. Anytime an author introduces a concept that's new to the narrative, the first time he introduces it, typically he gives you the most important characteristics of this character. Authors do that when they write works of fiction, and we have authors doing that right here. The author of this is saying, hey, the most important thing for you to know about the serpent is he is cunning. The most important thing for you to know about your enemy is that he is, as the King James says, he's subtle. 
The most important thing for you to know is he doesn't come banging on a drum with big neon signs and fingers pointing down and flags above him saying, I'm here to destroy your life. Boom, 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 boom. Right? He's cunning. He's subtle. He's going to sneak in. He's going to be crafty. He has a scheme for you. He doesn't put up signs. He doesn't put up flashing lights. He's subtle. He's cunning. He's a schemer. He was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has he really said that? Did he really mean what he said? Do you really know? You really know the meaning of it? Who are you to say what he really meant when he said that? You ever heard those kind of arguments today? It's the same thing today. And the woman said to the serpent... We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst or the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Ooh, here it is. You're not going to die you'll be able to know for yourself what's good and what's evil. You won't have to rely on him. You won't have to listen to what he says. You won't have to follow his word. You won't have to follow his commands. You'll know for yourself. You can be your own God. You can be autonomous. You don't need him. That's why he told you not to eat it. Well, he knows if you don't eat it, you won't be dependent on him. If you don't eat it, you have to stay dependent on him, and that's why he wants you to do that. God's really a moral monster. That's exactly what's going on right now. The enemy is painting a picture of God, and he's doing it with charged language. I'm not going to speak of God in reverent tones. I'm not going to talk about uh, his word as, as holy or just or righteous. I'm going to slander him. I'm going to make him seem like he's really a monster. Why should I follow God's rules? Why should you follow God's rules when you can be your own boss? Well, you could have a lot of fun if you didn't have to listen to him. It's really, that's what he's keeping you from. The only reason God's saying that is because there's a lot of fun to be had and he doesn't want you having it. No, God's word has specific commands for us. I know we hate that word today, command. As soon as you say command, people go, legalist. And yet Jesus said, um, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Some, maybe a better way to translate that is that who, him who loves me will obey my commands. Yeah, there, there are still commands. There are still commands that are valid for us today. Do not commit adultery did not go away. All right? Thou shalt not is still relevant today. And by the way, it's a good command. It is for our good. And it's for the good of others as well. You won't surely die. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you will be the new moral authority. And that is the push for humanism or atheism today. Get rid of this concept of God and now we can make the rules. We can say what's good. You backwards, anachronistic, you you just grounded in this old, worn-out faith, you bunch of hypocrites. You believe that homosexuality is a sin. How dare you? How dare you hold up your moral hand? 
I'm not holding up my moral hand. I'm saying the one who created morality said it's wrong. I didn't say it's wrong. I'm not on my own authority to say that. It's not one man against another. It's me reporting to you, this is what the creator of the universe has said. I'm I'm sorry if you don't like that, but you can be as venomous towards me as you want to, but you ain't getting rid of that. This is not Paul Wilson's idea. How dare you? The woman saw the tree that it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. What is she doing now? We do the same thing. Well, you know, God told me this isn't good, but let me go investigate for myself. I might be able to make a better judgment than God. God told me I shouldn't get into this, but you know, there's probably a way for me to enjoy that sin and not have to bear the repercussions. And so I can actually, you know, kind of slide my way around God's command. Well, you know, look at this, look at this fruit. I don't know why God would say not to eat it. I mean, it's pleasant. It looks good. It's a tree desirable to make me wise. It's, it's good for food. Why, why would God keep something good from me? I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to indulge myself in it. Well, I, I know God said not to, but maybe there's, there's a part of this. God doesn't really know the, re, the, the whole reality of me. I'm different. I'm not like every other person that gets themselves into this. I know what I'm getting into. And I know how to be able to go ahead and indulge in this sin, and I can do it in such a way that I won't bear the repercussions of it later. I'm really smarter. I'm smarter than God's commands give me, give me you know, license for. They give me credit for. I know how to do this. I know what I'm doing. Now she's relying on her own judgment rather than the Word of God. Let me tell you something. We do that. To, Christians do that today. Why, why do you think that's wrong? Well, let me tell you, brother. You know, uh, homosexuality is wrong or homosexual marriage is wrong because of this. Well, you know, there's these uh, sociological consequences that, are, that occur with that. Well, that's true. And that's the kind of argument that we want to offer. Well, you shouldn't do that because here are all the consequences that we have found over the years, blah, blah, blah. Why is that the argument that we offer? That is the wrong argument. We can give that. We can show that. Don't get me wrong. But the argument for that is God has surely said. Why will you not do that? Because I am a Christian and God's word tells me not to. There are a lot of sin, there are a lot of lifestyles, there are a lot of behaviors that are unethical to us who are Christians. They're unethical to all mankind, but we would, would recognize them as being unethical. And instead of saying, because God's word says X, we want to give all these other reasons. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have those other reasons. I am saying that's not the primary reason that we don't do X, Y, or Z. And we are being disingenuous when we tell other people, I don't engage in that because look of all the bad things that could come from that. No, I don't engage in that because I love Christ, I love his word, and I am struggling, and though imperfectly, I am struggling to obey it. That's the reason I don't do that. It's not because there's a hundred different problems that come out of it. Right? The reason I don't, I'm not going to go get into an illicit affair is not because, well, there are a lot of consequences that could come from that. It's not because of this humanistic understanding. It is because God's word has told me this. And my heart is bent toward Christ. And I want to obey his word. You know why? 
Here's, here's why that's not a, a good idea. Listen, if I tell someone, well, the reason you shouldn't get into an illicit affair is because, you know, when that gets found out and comes to light, that, that could ruin your marriage and your kids won't like you anymore and, and you're, you're, you'll be alienated from your, your family. Well, what about if they get into it and they never get found out? That has happened in history. Does that mean it's okay then? See, what you just did when you do it that way, when you, when you formulate those kind of arguments... You're basically telling them, well, there's all of these bad consequences, but hey, if you can avoid those bad consequences, well, then, you know, it's not so bad. No, because God says that is aberrant. It is sinful. It is wrong. And the creator of the universe, though I might be able to get away with it in humans' eyes, the creator of the universe will see it. He is a just judge, and he will hold me accountable. That's why. Are you with me? We don't utilize the arguments of human, uh, humanism to argue for Christianity. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Okay? All right. Sorry. We'll get into that in school of ministry the next month. We're going to get into apologetics and some of the right ways, some of the wrong ways. So she saw the food, and it was good. She saw it was pleasant to her eyes. Oh, it looks good to me. Well, God said it's not good. Yeah, but it looks good to me. Yeah, but God said it's not right. Yeah, but it looks good to me. And I think I'm going to trust my own judgment above God's. I think I'm going to trust my own judgment, my own ability above God's. What does he know anyway? So she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Time out. He was with her. He was standing right there when the devil is lobbing these arguments at her, and what did he say? Nothing. What did he do? Nothing. You want to know the, like, the definition of an inept husband? That's it. An inept father? Watch my wife or my children get themselves into sin. Know that it's not right, and I'll say nothing. You are, sir, derelict in your duty then. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They made themselves coverings. The woman saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to her eyes. It was desirable to make her wise, so she took of it and ate, and she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Time out. Who was the first to eat? Eve. She ate. Did she sin when she did that? Yes, obviously so. Yeah, she sinned. Don't answer this. Okay, this is a trick question. So then, who brought sin into the world? The first thing that a person will say is, well, it's obviously Eve. She was the one that ate the, ate the fruit. Which, by the way, we do not know that it's an apple. I love that. She was the one that ate the apple. Where's that apple? We don't know what kind of fruit it was. She was the first one that ate the fruit. What does Romans 5.12 say? Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. Why, if Eve is the one who eats the fruit, why is Adam charged with the sin? Because there was sin before she ate the fruit. There was sin because that man was the covering of that woman. And that serpent came to try to deceive her. And the Bible tells us in Romans... He was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. Adam knew what he is saying is a lie. 
What he's saying is wrong. This, this argument that the serpent has now given to my wife is wrong, and it's, it's manipulative, and it's deceptive, and he did nothing to stop it. Now I'm going to go to my reference here. Let me show you another example. I call that the sin of Eli. I call that the sin of Eli. I have for 10 years since I've read through this chapter, and now when I preach it, I say the same thing. I'm making reference to something. So let's go to 1 Samuel. If you've got your bookmark still there. 1 Samuel. Let me show you, let me show you why I call this the sin of Eli. 1 Samuel, uh, if we go to chapter 2, to verse 12, it says this. The sons of Eli were corrupt. Eli is the high priest in Israel at this time, okay? He says this. The sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man would offer a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. He'd thrust it into the pan or kettle, and he'd take out for himself everything the flesh hook brought up. Right? Also, before they burned the fat, this is verse 15, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me meat for the roasting for the priest, because he'll, he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. That's not how God said it was supposed to be, be done. No, you're supposed to take it after it's boiling. There's a reason for that. These guys know better, of course. If the man said to him, no, they should really burn the fat first, and then you can take as much as your heart desires, he would answer them, no, you'll give it now, and if not, I'll take it from you by force. Give it or watch me take it. The sin of the young men, verse 17, was very great before the Lord because, because of them men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, skip over to 1 Samuel 3, verse 11. We see, we see Samuel as a boy being called. God calls to him a few times. Samuel doesn't know who it is. He thinks it's Eli calling him. Finally, Eli is dense, but he's not that dense. Finally, about the third time. He says, look, look, when you hear this voice calling you in the middle of the night, just say, here I am, your servant hears, right? Because it's actually God that's calling you, it's not me. And here's what God ends up saying to Samuel, the boy, the first time God ever talks to Samuel. Can you imagine this? If you're a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old in somebody's household, you're, you're basically the servant of the high priest, basically the most powerful man in all the land. And this is what God says to you the very first time. Verse 11, the Lord says to Samuel, behold, I'm going to do something in Israel that when people hear it, it will make their ears tingle. In that day, I'll perform against Eli everything I've spoken concerning his home or his house from beginning to end. I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons have made themselves vile and yet he did not restrain them. What's the sin of Eli? It's the same sin that we commit as families over and when I say we, I mean Christianity at large, over and over. We know our children or our spouse is getting themselves into a, a world of sin. And instead of saying something, we don't want to say anything because, by golly, they'll, they'll hate us then. right? So instead of st saying anything, we just kind of stay silent, turn a blind eye, pretend we don't see it, pretend we don't know. And God said about Eli, he's doing that, and that's so vile to me, I'll judge his house forever because of it. I've told him I'll judge him forever. He knows the iniquities of his sons, that they've made themselves vile, and yet he has not restrained them. And therefore, verse 14, I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of his house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning. <laughs> what a story. 
And Eli comes into him and says, hey, 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 what did God tell you last night? <laughs> Man, you know, what do you do if you're saying, uh, 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 well, uh, I don't, I don't. I, I don't think we should really, I, I don't think you're going to, let's not discuss that. Right? And Eli basically says, look, uh, tell me. I'm going to make you swear to me. You've got to tell me what he said. And Samuel says, okay. Here's what he said. What's Eli say? Well, let God do whatever seems good to him. Whatever seems good to him. Two things. He will do whatever seems good to him. Second, what seems good to him is actually right and good and righteous and true. God's not doing something that seems good to him, but is actually not. And that's why Eli's house was judged. And now let me come back to this. I think we do this, and I think I'm guilty of this at times too. I think we, as Christian men, we will see deception that's rampant in the culture we will see our spouses being deceived by it. We'll see our children being deceived by it. And instead of sitting down and saying, you're in a bad place, we kind of turn a blind eye. You know why? Because we love ourselves. Well, if I tell her that, she's not going to be happy with me. There's going to be tension in the house. If I, if I, you know, if I come against this, I mean, the kids are going to be mad at me. And I know this. Look, I, I have very small children. I get this. I know it stinks to have the kids mad at you. I want my children to be absolutely infatuated and in love with me at every point, every hour of the day. I do. And every other parent does too. Of course we do. And that's good. But there is a certain place at which God says your job is to be the parent, even if that means they don't understand right now. Even if that means they don't really like it right now. I would tell you you ought to ask my mom about that, but I really don't want you hearing the stories about me as a teenager. When mom says, get your you know, behind out of bed, you're going to church. Well, they don't go to church. Why do I got to be there? At least I don't want to be there for Sunday school. You're going to be there. Why? Because it's my home. And as long as you're living in my home, that's what we do. Well, I'm glad today. At the time, I was angry. At the time, I did not understand. At the time, I did rebel against that command. And you know what? The Lord was still faithful to his word. At the time, I was a, a behind. At the time, I was disrespectful. It would have been very easy to just throw up the hands and say, fine, I'm not dealing with it. And I'm very glad that my mom did not do that. Because at some point, there was some truth that started leaking into my thick head. And I'm glad I was there to hear it. They made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Don't we do the same? We get ourselves into sin, and as soon as we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we want to hide ourselves. Instead of just being open. You didn't see that, God. You didn't see it. Ah, ah. We want to hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord. I want to start skipping church. I want to start skipping those things. So I'll be around God's people because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually living in sin, and I don't want to be convicted of it. I've been living with my girlfriend for a month, and I'm just tired of hearing about it. I don't want to be there. Well, that should say something about your spiritual state. We do the same things today. 
They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Remember, he used to walk together with the Lord in the cool of the day. And when your conscience is clean, don't you do the same? Isn't it just refreshing? Your conscience is clean. You walk with the Lord. You just, it's a refreshing thing. And when you get into sin, when you get into known sin, I know it's wrong, but I'm still doing it because I love my sin. The first thing that happens is, of course, my conscience, God is bearing witness against me. The Holy Spirit is telling me that is wrong. That's wrong, and it's interfering. It is distracting. It is getting in the way of your relationship with Christ. Stop it. And instead of stopping it, we go, yeah, but I love it. I don't want to stop it. I want to justify it. Do I really have to stop it? I can come up with a good excuse. Maybe it's only me that's done that. I don't know. I'm sure you've never done that. And what do we do? We start to hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord. They sew fig leaves together and put coverings on themselves, right? I mean, think about this. (laughs) The all-knowing God. You used to be walking around in the garden naked and unashamed. And the next time you see God, you've got, you know, a fig leaf bikini on. What's going on? What? Well, I, I mean, we were naked and we were ashamed. Oh, you were naked and ashamed? Well, did you eat from the fruit of the garden? Let me tell you something. When the Lord asks questions, they're rhetorical, okay? He's not like, oh, I'm not really sure. Maybe I should ask and get some information, right? What's wrong? Because here's why. Listen, listen. It sounds funny to us, but the Holy Spirit does the same thing to us today. You know why? He gives us a chance to confess and repent. Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? You know what they should have said? Yes. And they should have fell down to their knees, and they should have worshipped God, and they should have asked for repent. They should have asked to be clean. Instead, what do they do? I'm going to hide it. I'm going to be able to, (laughs) we do the same thing. I'm going to hide it from the all-knowing creator God. I'll make it so he doesn't know. (laughs) Good luck with that. Well, I was afraid. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And what happens now? (laughs) You ever seen a little kid do this, right? Did you eat the cookie? No. Well, I, I wasn't going to, but he said I could. Right? It's the blame game. Here it is. The Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? Uh, here's what Adam says. The man said, well, the, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave it, and then I ate. Do you know what he's really saying? Well, it's your fault, God. You gave me this woman, and look, you, you said it was a good thing. In fact, you said it was very good, and look what she's done to me now. It's your It's your fault. Every married couple, you should have a very straight face. Don't smile. They'll know it's true. You've done the same thing. Lord, this woman you gave to be with me, right? Newly married. This woman likes the temperature of the house at 80 degrees. I'm sure none of the women have ever done that either. Lord, this husband. I mean, I'm sure my wife never has, of course. You, <laughs> all you have to do is look at the inside of my car where you could probably hide a dead body without anybody knowing. There's just so much junk in there, right? 
and my wife, who is OCD, she is like, she's CDO. She's so OCD, it's in alphabetical order, right? We're talking about the girl who puts clothes in the closet by rainbow order of color, right? Sorted by size and outfit. Like, it is incredible. It's impressive. You go in there like, that is awesome. Why can't I do that? I'm just looking for a clothes that doesn't have wrinkles on it, right? Like, well, this is, this is close enough. I wonder if she's ever been frustrated at me. Probably once or twice, right? Here's where it happens, though. The blame game comes. It's not my fault, God. It's, it's your fault because you gave this person here. You gave them to me, and it's your fault. It's your fault I'm like that, Lord. Look at the parents you gave me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Not my sin that's created this problem. Look at my mom and dad. Look at my wife. Look at the people I've grown up with. It's your fault, God. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's ours. God said to the woman, what's this you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, or the Lord uh, said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. guy asked me one time, does that mean that the serpent had legs before that? I don't know. Maybe. You don't know? No, it does not say. I don't know. We can, you know, we can hypothesize, but I don't know. On your belly you shall go. You'll eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity. In other words, you will be enemies with. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, that would be the devil's seed, and her seed, capital S, Christ, and those born of Christ. He will bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you'll bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, here's the problem. You know what we see when we say this? We see this, this narrative through our own eyes. We see this narrative through the, through the eyes of our own experience, which is as sinful and fallen and vindictive creatures. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about the, the nature of God and I said he's, not, he's impassioned. That's the word that we use. He doesn't have passions. But what we mean is this. He is not just making a knee-jerk reaction because he's mad. He's not saying, well, it was going to be fine, but now that I've found this out, I'm going to curse you. That is not what's happening. He is saying, you have no idea what you've done. The natural outworking of your sin is this. You know what's going to happen now because of what you've done? You're going to have a lot more pain in childbearing. I've never been through that, but I've seen it. I hate it. not going to lie. And I'm not even the one going through it. Your desire will be for your husband. You'll want to rule over him. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to rule over you. You will want to rule over him, and he will sometimes dominate you. I'm going to tell you something that you're not unaware of. Men are typically larger and stronger than women. And if a man does not have Christ and is not in a culture that has laws according to that, it is very easy to get mad at that lady and just beat her. I'm, I've had enough of your mouth. I'm going to beat you. Does that happen anywhere? That's legal, by the way, in an Islamic country. Do not decide you're going to, we're going there. No, don't do that. That's legal. Do you think there's ever been a country where people have lived where the laws didn't reach out to them? Do you think there's ever been a place in a country where a man says, that's it, I've had enough of your mouth, I'm just going to beat you down. I'm going to dominate you through force. You're going to do what I want or I'll make you do what I want. 
You think that'd be a peaceful, righteous way to live? No. Before the fall, that wasn't even a temptation. And now God's saying, because of what you've, you have no idea what you've done. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When we dabble in known sin, it's the same thing for us. You have no idea what consequences you're bringing. You have no idea what you've done. It's not a big deal. Everybody does it. You have no idea what you've done. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I wonder if there's ever been conflict in marriage because two very selfish, self-willed creatures want to have the last word. You think that's ever happened? Maybe once or twice, right? Yeah. And to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Remember, he was not deceived. Eve actually was deceived. Adam was not deceived, and he still did it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. That does not mean I'm cursing the ground because I'm mad at you. It means because of what you've done, you have actually not only cursed you and your wife and your relationship together, your relationship with other people, you have literally affected the very earth. You have affected nature. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth for you, and you'll eat the herb of the field. I've heard people say before, well, before this, there were no thorns and thistles. Well, that, that maybe, I don't know. It doesn't say that there were no thorns and thistles beforehand. But what it does say is afterwards, now they're going to be competing with your crops. You know, this, this labor that used to be just pleasant, you would tend the garden, and it brought forth its strength for you. I mean, it would be pretty nice to plant a garden and just walk down and eat the fruit, not ever to have to pull weeds. Not ever have to clip thistles. You ever had a green briar in your pasture? Aren't they wonderful when you get them in your garden? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? But what he's saying now is you have no idea. You have now you have no idea how far the ramifications for this are going to go. In the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. In other words, God's saying this. You think the serpent told you you weren't going to die. And you think, because I haven't snatched the, the breath out of your lungs, that you won't die. But I can promise you, you will. You will die. We were actually having this conversation, Darren and me and Justin, before church. I could, I could logically say there's no way I'm going to die if I'm just basing my knowledge on my own experience, right? I never died in the past. So obviously I'm never going to die, right? And God's saying this, you will die. <clears throat> From dust you've been taken, and to dust you shall return. I want you to notice something. Up here in um, Genesis 3, God says this. He's, uh, he basically says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, when he says that, that word is, is, we don't do a good job translating it. A lot of times we put it in here like this. We say, you will surely die, but it's actually a double reference. In Hebrew, it says, dying, you shall surely die. God's making a double reference to death. And the reason he's making that double reference is he's saying two things are going to happen. Immediately, you're going to die spiritually. And you're also going to allow the process of physical death to start in your bodies. 
dying. You are now, you're not living anymore. You're dying. You're on the road to death. Every minute that you live now will be a, a minute closer to your demise. And let me tell you something, saints. We're the same thing today, right? Hey, I'm really living now. Well, that's true, but you're still dying. Your body is inching closer minute by minute to your death. You will not escape it. It is the one thing that no man is going to get you out of. It's In fact, the Bible does say it's the, the final, the last um, enemy to be conquered will be death. Okay, back to this. Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil. You'll eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. You will eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. That's tough. And Adam called his name, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of what? Skin. And clothed clothed them. I don't know if you're catching the implication here. To make a tunic of skin, something's got to die. You have no idea what you've done because you have allowed this thing, this, this thing called sin in, because you've disobeyed. The only way this can be rectified is through bloodshed. I, I personally believe he, he probably slayed something like a lamb. I can't prove that from the text, and I'm not going to make it a, an issue to argue over. But God is showing them this, this thing you've done that you think wasn't a big deal, it can only be rectified through bloodshed. He made tunics of skin. Get rid of the figs. You can't cover yourself. There's a, a whole sermon in there, isn't there? Your good works, when you decide you're going to atone for the bad things you've done by the good things that you can do, you're trying to cover yourself with fig leaves. You cannot make an effective covering. You do not have the power. But God can through the blood of a lamb, the blood of a perfect, unspotted lamb. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, there's the Trinity, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, that would have been bad. Live forever in your fallen state, that would be bad. There are people who will do that. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That is God's mercy. Why? That, by, by the way, um, this place here in uh, verse 15 where he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Sometimes that is called the proto-evangelion. Um, that is because that's the first time basically the evangel, the gospel, is hinted at. Ch- Genesis chapter 3. God is telling him, hey, look, you have screwed it up. Guess what? I still got a plan. I'm still going to make it right. I'm still going to atone. I'm still going to save you. I'm still going to love you. Maybe that's the message you need to hear today. I promise you have screwed it up. So have I. We all have. And I can also promise you that I can promise you that the way to atone for that screw-up is not by deciding, well, I'm going to go out and and I'm going to be a good person today. You're going about this the wrong way. 
You don't need to do works for yourself. All the good works you can do cannot erase the bad ones. Do you understand what I'm saying here? They are in separate categories. If I murder someone today, it doesn't matter if I feed the homeless for the next three months. Eventually, the cops are going to come knocking, and I'm going to say, hey, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You didn't see all the good stuff I did, though. I mean, I, mean, I don't know I killed that guy, but have you seen all the good stuff I've done? See how many people's lives I've helped save? I fed all these people. There was a bunch of people. They were homeless. They didn't even have coats. It was getting really cold. They would have died without me. I gave them coats. What's the cops say? I mean, that's great. I'm glad you did. I'm not here to arrest you for those good things. I'm here to arrest you for the bad ones. All the good works you can pile on yourself do not get rid of the sin. You have a sin ticket. Right? You've been caught speeding. Are you with me here? And the, the, the fine for that ticket is a fine that you don't have the money to pay. If you, I mean, if you got caught speeding and the fine was $6 billion, I got news for you. Anybody, at least in this congregation, you can't pay that. Okay? You can't pay it if you gave everything that you own and, and, and uh, you know, sold yourself into slavery. You cannot pay that. And that's exactly what happened with sin. You've got a sin ticket. You're guilty. And you can't pay it. And trying to do good things to cover over your guilt will not get rid of that guilt. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad you do good things. At the risk of sounding redundant, good things are good things to do. But it doesn't get rid of your sin. Only the blood of that spotless lamb can get rid of your sin. He was without sin. Why do we follow Christ? Because he was without sin. He's the only one who's qualified to take care of your sin. Buddha might have been a nice guy. You know, Confucius might have been a good fellow, but he wasn't perfect. Christ was perfect. And because of that, Christ was able to die and take the penalty, the judgment for your sin. Right? It's kind of, if, you get a, if you get a ticket, seriously, it's like if you get a speeding ticket, if it was $6 billion, the court doesn't care who pays it, okay? If you get a speeding ticket tomorrow and it's a $100 ticket and your mom or your dad or your uncle or your cousin walks in to pay it, the court doesn't care who pays it, but they care that it's paid. And if it doesn't get paid, eventually you're going to lose your license. You might go to jail. Well, your sin ticket's that way. You, if you've got the money, honey, you can pay it. Got news for you. You don't have the money. What's the only way that you can pay that sin ticket well somebody who has the ability who does have the money has to be willing to pay it for you christ was without sin and because of that he could lay his life down and he could pay for yours and the father as a good judge stands up in the in the courtroom and says i'll take his payment for your sin and i'll take your sin and i'll give it to him That's the scandal of the gospel. The scandal of the gospel is that it's totally righteous. It is free. It's not cheap. That's kind of paradoxical, I suppose. But God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. It costs a lot. It costs the only perfect life to ever walk. That's what it costs. It costs perfect, sinless blood. That's what it costs that we're going to celebrate today, that we're going to remember today in communion. It costs that blood. That's what it costs. I don't want to preach anymore.
I think the Holy Spirit can preach that message better than I can. Let's pray and we'll move into our uh, communion. Father, your word is good and it's perfect and it's true. And it shows us who we really are. We aren't wonderful, good people who are looking to be better through Christ. We are broken, shattered, sinful people who need Christ to make us new, to breathe life into us. We need Christ, the perfect spotless lamb, to be able to atone for our sins. God, we are so thankful that we have that today. We thank you that that you have put us in a place where we could hear your word, that you've given us life, that you've breathed, breathed life into us. We ask that we can reflect on that accurately and remember it today. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.